everyone. Welcome back to the Unscripted Faith Podcast, the place for Christian women to hear biblical truths and insights in a straightforward, candid, and sometimes humorous way to help us all get through these crazy times we're living in. Although there probably won't be a whole lot of humor in today's podcast because we're going to be digging into some pretty weird and meaty stuff. But I'm your host, Jesse T. And the last and very first podcast I ever did was on the difference between temptation and suffering. And I want to continue on the topic of suffering because the first podcast was a little bit light on the idea of suffering. And I know there are a lot of hurting souls out in the world today. So I feel that I would be completely remiss if I didn't go a little deeper on this topic because there are so many different ways that we could go. And this is such an involved topic that I don't even know if I could possibly cover everything that there is to know about it. But let me assure you that I am no stranger to suffering myself. And I just want to sort of level with you all for a minute because I alluded to this in my first podcast. So I think it would be a good place to talk about what happened to me and why I picked this topic as the very first thing to put out there for you guys to listen to. So this is my testimony and it might make some people pretty uncomfortable. I mean, to be honest, it was incredibly uncomfortable for me to go through and it still is a little uncomfortable for me to even talk about it. But I really believe that the Lord gave me this story that I never wanted to have to choose for myself to share with you. And before I get into it, I just want to say that I share this testimony with you with a little bit of trepidation because I know that some of you who are about to listen to this story might think I'm a lunatic, but I promise you I'm not. I know for a fact that there's at least one person who's listening to this who knows that this is the actual truth and I didn't make it up because she played a key part in the good part of the story and the ending. So if for no one else on earth, this story is for her, and we've been talking for over a year about perhaps one day sharing this testimony someday to the masses, even though it's pretty bizarre. But what I don't want you to get hung up on though, is the details or the main topic or catalyst for what caused my suffering. What I do want you to get caught up on is what the Lord has done in me and what he has shown me through all of this so that you can better understand why I decided to start here with this as my very first topic instead of something much more lighthearted and easier to do a podcast on. And I also share this testimony in hopes that I might identify with the fact that if you are someone who has chosen to listen to this podcast because you are in a season of suffering right now, I want to be able to prove to you that I'm not making light of your suffering. And I too have deep feelings and fears around suffering, just like everyone else. Just because I'm doing this podcast doesn't make me a pro at suffering. And I don't want you to think that I'm recording this podcast for you as a victor, but rather as someone who's still in the middle of the storm that I'm about to share with you. So here goes nothing. I grew up like so many people, very poor to drug addicted, alcoholic and drug dealing parents and everything that you can imagine that goes with that scene or that type of crowd. I was born to a mother with no more than an eighth grade education and several children that she had given up for adoption before I was even born and a father who only held like one or two jobs throughout my entire childhood that I can remember. Otherwise, he was just selling drugs and drinking and partying all the time and that's how we made money to survive. The first home that I lived in was a school bus. This is a story in and of itself, but for now, that's all I'm going to say about my childhood. I became a Christian at the age of 18 years old when I began to go to church and gained a lot of Bible knowledge. After I gave my life to the Lord, I began to do all the things that I thought that I should do, like going to church and listening only to praise and worship music, cleaning up my language, serving the church, and I did my best to be a better person in general. This is the time of my life when the Bible stopped sounding like Chinese to me. So I guess you could say that this is when the Lord 
opened the eyes of my understanding as it states in Luke 24, 25. I believe that I was truly saved at that point in my life because I don't think that we can truly understand the Bible unless the Holy Spirit indwells us. And this is when I remember that I began to start to feel conviction for my wrongdoings and my choices. And so when I tell my testimony, this is the age that I point to when I say that I gave my life to the Lord. However, God had a lot of work to do in me and it would be years before I could actually tell that his hand was on my life in a big way. There was so much more to my faith that I would later learn and that I would learn in the most bizarre ways that I could have ever imagined. In 2016, I began to pursue my lifelong dream of becoming a hairstylist. And at hair school is where I met a young lady who was quite a bit younger than me, but we had pretty much everything in common. And she was one of those old souls and we became fast friends. So I opened my salon in 2018. I recruited her to work with me because we jived really well together and I knew I could trust her around money and the client book and so forth. And also because she was incredibly talented at her craft. Cole and I had a good thing going and many mornings we would arrive early to work just so we could sit and talk about whatever we wanted to. Oftentimes she would ask me about my faith and on more than a few occasions she told me that she herself was a Christian, but she was a weak Christian, she said, and she really wanted to know more about how to get her life more in line with a Christian lifestyle. So she would ask me questions about how to do that. And the truth is I was actually a terrible Christian friend to her because I all but refused to go there with her because I wasn't even living my own life correctly at the time. I hadn't been to church in at least a year, and I certainly was not the perfect example of someone who should be followed as an example of any form of godliness, and no one knew that better than me. I had become more worldly during my time away from church than Christian, and deep down I knew that. So how could I disciple her, which was essentially what she was asking for? So when she would ask these questions, I would give her the most non-committal answer that I could think of and quickly change the subject. Besides wanting to talk about my faith, she was also very intent on asking me if I knew anything about the shop owner that was located across the street. So I told her I didn't know. I mean, I had only ever seen this person like twice when I was headed across the street to the local grocery store to grab a bite for lunch. But other than that, I didn't even know what kind of shop she was running. It was hard to tell just from looking outside the windows. But every other topic under the sun for us was pretty much fair game. I had no reason to believe that Cole didn't feel the same about me as I felt about her. She was my best friend and confidant, or so I thought. Over the course of the two years that we worked together in the salon, well-meaning friends and even my own husband would come and warn me about her telling me to be careful around her because she was two-faced. But all I could see was how honest and delightful she was, and in my eyes, she could do no wrong. In 2019, I was tapped by the political party for which I associate to run for political office. So this left largely in charge of my salon by herself, which I was totally fine with because I couldn't think of a more trustworthy person than her. So off and on when I would pop in the shop, Cole continued to ask about my faith and I continued to be as foolish as I was about it with answering or not answering the questions that she had been asking me. To be honest, I had plenty of other things on my mind now that I was running for office because it's pretty much a full-time job in and of itself. However, I had begun going back to church around that time, mostly because of the conviction that I felt when she did want to inquire about my faith and how I might be living it or walking it out every day. So in early 2020, just before the pandemic struck, 
Nicole informed me that she was not going to be able to continue to be self-employed at the salon because she needed to have health insurance to take care of her autoimmune disorder that she was dealing with. So with my blessing and with a glowing recommendation that I provided for her employer, she left and was hired at a company that would pay most of her health insurance benefits that she needed. And I was happy for her. But of course, this meant that we wouldn't be seeing as much of each other anymore. So we continued to text and call and message every once in a while. And Nicole continued to inquire about my faith during that time. And I continued my silly game of not really answering her and changing the subject because I didn't know what to say about it. Well, then later in July, after not seeing each other in like months, Cole and I got together for lunch one day. And on that day, she shared with me that she had found out who the owner of the shop was that was located across from my salon. She shared that it was a secondhand type of shop with some kind of nonprofit aspect to it. And while she thought that the shop was cool, she was actually becoming concerned because some of her friends were beginning to hang out with the owner of the shop who she thought might be practicing witchcraft. So I remember just giggling about this because I honestly didn't even know that that was even a thing. I thought it was like just in the movies like Hansel and Gretel or the witch from Snow White and the Seven Dwarves. I amused myself <laughs> during that conversation with the idea of someone like stirring a cauldron that was bubbling over or riding a broom or mixing some kind of like love potion to make their crush fall in love with them. Those sorts of things. I was admittedly completely oblivious that this was actually some people's religion. So I felt inclined at that time to just blow it off. But then she said that she was worried that her friends might be starting to follow this false religion. And one of her friends had started to get into things like astrology and go for these spiritual meetings and they would come and try to contact the dead in order to predict their future or to speak to a dead loved one. And she said that she herself felt totally against this stuff. It just, she said, rubbed her the wrong way. And she wanted to share the gospel with her friends, but she didn't know how to do that and couldn't really figure out how to explain to them that this behavior that they were starting to take part in might be dangerous. So she asked if I would be willing to write some scriptures about witchcraft and things like that for her so that she could share them with her friends at some point when she felt she was able to do that. So I said yes, but I was like, yeah, there's definitely no way I'm doing that because I still didn't even know if I believed in all of that stuff or that people actually did anything like that with the expectation that they thought it might be real. And I felt a lot of skepticism about this whole thing. So after we parted ways that day and for like two weeks, I did not research witchcraft or related topics in the Bible. And I just thought, well, if she's really a Christian, then sharing the gospel with her friends shouldn't be too difficult for her, right? Because like, how can you be saved if you don't know the gospel? But then one day, a dear Christian friend of mine came to visit. This was a person who was basically like my spiritual mentor for many years. And while she was visiting that day, she just shared this story with me about how she was downtown like a week or so prior. And she just happened to stumble into this shop that was located across from my salon because she was looking for a birthday present for her granddaughter. And she thought she'd check it out to see what she might find. And while she was wandering aimlessly through the store, the owner approached her and greeted her, introduced herself and offered to help her find something. There's nothing out of the ordinary there. So I wasn't concerned at this point. But according to my friend, she says that the owner of the shop directed her toward a few things to consider for her granddaughter as a gift. But then she noticed as she was about to check out that there was this book of spells or something sitting near the counter. So she asked the owner of the shop about it. And the owner of the shop proudly picked it up and showed this book to my Christian friend explaining that she herself is a multi-generational gray witch, which is another thing I was unfamiliar with because I didn't know that witches had colors, but I thought they just all wore black. I don't know. So anyway, 
then she noticed after that some tarot cards that were sitting on the counter and some other like things that she described as witchy type things, I guess. So my friend left without purchasing anything that day. And after hearing the story, I thought, wow, <laughs> I really had no clue that there were actual books on this stuff. And I was more inclined to believe this story now and that maybe this stuff was real and that maybe was right about this witchcraft thing and that maybe people were following this this religion that Nicole was concerned about. So I began to give it some more thought after my friend left that day. So after my friend left, I began to give more thought to what Nicole had told me. And I thought, well, maybe I really do need to know if the Bible has anything to say about these things and maybe I should be made aware of this stuff. So I eventually decided to open my Bible, began to search out related scriptures on the topic of things like witchcraft and sorcery and astrology and all those types of things. So for anyone of you who actually studies the Bible, you should know that the Bible has a lot to say about this kind of stuff. So I bought a brand new Bible of her own, a really nice hand-painted cloth-covered gold leaf page Bible that cost me a pretty penny, but I figured she was worth it because I loved her and I thought she'd appreciate it. So when the Bible arrived in the mail, I used index cards and wrote down all the scriptures that I could find in the pages of the Bible, and I stuck the cards in between the pages with the corresponding verses. That way she wouldn't have to go and look them up herself. That took me like five days to complete just that portion of it. And by the end of it, I had learned that this was indeed a very serious matter to God. It was not a joke. It wasn't just as innocent as like the Disney witches and stuff like that. It was for real. But I also worried that this would all be so confusing for her to understand. So it seemed obvious that even though she had told me that she's a Christian, she did not know how to read her Bible. And maybe, just maybe, she didn't even actually know the gospel either. So along with the Bible and the index cards, I decided to write her a letter that recapped how she had been asking me questions about Jen, the owner of the shop across from my salon. And I acknowledged her concerns that she had shared with me about her friends getting involved with this person. I acknowledge that she was correct in worrying about surrounding herself or her friends surrounding themselves with people who were going down a wayward path. And I cited verses from Proverbs and things like that um, to back that claim up that she needed to be careful of the company that she was keeping. And I shared my experience with her that my other Christian friend had shared with me about when she walked into the shop and that whole thing happened. And I did warn her to stay away from such teachings as is stated in the Bible, which is all what she was asking me for. And then I closed the letter by providing the gospel and letting her know that I loved her and I missed her and hoped that she was doing well. So after I had finished the letter and putting the Bible together, I packaged it all up and dropped it off on her doorstep so she would be able to get it when she got home from work. Well, the very next day, she sent me a message on Facebook thanking me for the Bible and taking time out of my day to write out the scriptures. But I knew that I had been played when she ended that dialogue with, but I have chosen my own path. Well, that was frustrating because I had just wasted all of that money and time and energy, but more so the time away from my family just to accommodate this request that she had been bugging me about for like a year. But at the same time, she's an adult. She's allowed to choose who she wants to serve. So I just wrote it off as kind of like a thanks, but no thanks. And I figured if we remained friends that I would never mention this topic to her again. And I also planned to distance myself from her going forward, taking my own advice that I had just given her since she had clearly chosen the very same path that she apparently lied to me about and told me that she was worried about her friends for. So I thought I'd just wash my hands of it, move on and live happily ever after. However, several days later, my phone began blowing up with notifications and messages asking what in the world had I just done? 
screenshots began piling in on Messenger of photos of the letter that I had written to Nicole personally that had not been posted to Facebook by Nicole herself. No, instead, the photos of my letter were actually posted to Facebook by the shop owner, Jen. So I absolutely knew at that point that I had been set up. Unfortunately for me, the post went local viral and was shared at least a couple hundred times from what I could see. And that's not including those who might have shared the post from private accounts that I couldn't see. The post that Jen wrote that accompanied the photos of my letter stated that I was basically an unhinged nut job who wrote an unsolicited letter to this sweet hole and I had unjustly attacked Jen's business and it was unfair for me to bully her because of all that she does for the community and it was an abuse of my attempted or perceived political aspirations to ruin her business reputation that she worked so hard to build. So the story, as you can see, was completely spun out of context. Of course, she never mentioned that either we both had been played by Nicole or that she was conspiring against me with Nicole to attack my campaign, because why would she make herself look bad, right? But worse than that, Jen was soliciting people in the comments section of her original post to write their negative experiences that they had had with me as an attempt to try to find more things wrong with me than just the letter that she could use against my political campaign. So of course people come out of the woodwork and people I didn't even know were starting to tell stories about me that were obviously not true. Or people that just didn't like my business that began to write bogus business reviews about business dealings that they had had with me and things like that. And even my own study hall teacher from like 20 years ago had gotten involved in the bashing session. And it was almost laughable because I was actually such a goody two shoes in school. And I only had one study hall period with this particular teacher and I never got in trouble, never did anything wrong. Anyway, it was just ridiculous. But the humor in all of this stuff did not last long because in short order, I began to receive death threats and I was run off the road. We had our tires slash in our own front yard on two different vehicles on three separate occasions. The assistant soccer coach told the whole soccer team that my daughter had belonged to about the letter that I wrote. So of course she got bullied on the team and then a teacher pulled up the letter on his cell phone and passed it around a cafeteria full of same age peers as my kids. That happened nine months after the fact, by the way. And my letter was used at the local high school as an example of religious bigotry in a, in a history class. So that was just really crazy. And I guess I just kind of felt like, well, so much for letting the storm pass, I guess. So there was no way that I could even think about sending my kids back to public school after the pandemic was over and after this had happened. I can't imagine what they would have suffered if I had basically thrown them into the lion's den. I could have only prayed that God would have protected them like Daniel, but I didn't dare to find out because I didn't have that much faith back then and certainly wouldn't want to put them through that without their consent. So ever since then, I haven't been able to go to the local bank, the local grocery store, the post office, or anything in my hometown without feeling or actually experiencing some sort of hate-filled incident or something happening. In the end of this whole thing, Jen's and Nicole's letter and plot against me was successful. I did lose the political race, but don't feel bad for me because immediately I recognized that loss as the grace and mercy and protective hand of God. Because if I had won, then I would have had a few hundred cruel spirited little minions running around just waiting on bated breath for me to mess something up so that they could further their scandal against me. This was definitely the hardest thing that I had ever been through in my life, <laughs> but it was the first time that I really started to think about verses like John 3.30, where it says, 
he must increase and I must decrease because during this storm, I wanted to decrease after all of that mess. And I didn't want anything other than small because with bigness comes responsibility and inevitable criticism. And I had certainly had my share at that point. My initial reaction was to stay in bed and just cry a lot and pray even more and read my Bible as much as I could or consume as many sermons as I could. But eventually I became tired and depression set in because sometimes that's what suffering does to you. And friend, if you're a Christian and you've been led to believe like I was that being depressed is somehow ungodly, let me just encourage you to open up the book of Psalms where King David so articulately and poetically expresses his despair his depression, his heartache, his sorrows, and his sufferings. It is not ungodly to feel feelings. We are human and God made us with feelings. What is ungodly is if you get used to staying there and you start to treat your depression like an idol, or if you sin in your despair and anger. Psalms is actually the book that I began to read when I was going through all of this, and it felt good, I have to admit, to be able to relate to someone in the Bible, especially the part where David prayed for the demise of his enemies. I hate to admit it, but I liked that part of the Psalms, and I too began to pray for my enemy's demise, but I'm not recommending that you do the same because actually that's not what God instructs us to do in our suffering, and we'll talk about that in the next episode, so be watching for it. After the depression wore off, and probably partly because I was praying for the demise of my enemies, I actually began to become very bitter and very angry, and I became someone that I didn't even recognize anymore. I ate myself into oblivion and gained an embarrassing amount of weight, and I'm still trying to work that off. Everything that proceeded from my mouth during that season of life was sarcastic and mean-spirited, and as much as I thought that it would make me feel better somehow... It didn't because the anger and spite took on this life of its own. And I just wanted opportunities to like hurt these people back, but bigger than they had hurt me. And that was a lot of work. The truth is being cynical, being bitter, being angry. It really does take a lot of work. And I knew that I didn't want to be depressed again, which felt like the alternative. And now that being angry wasn't working for me, I wasn't even sure what to do or how to feel. So in my exhaustion, I just remember crying out and just saying, okay, God, I give up. What is it that you want from me? What do you want me to learn or do? Just help me, whatever it is, just help me. And that was when God did this super crazy plot twist, which is where one of my persecutors actually messaged me on Facebook one Sunday morning to apologize to me for the part that she had played in hurting me. I was shocked. I actually was skeptical. I thought that maybe it was some kind of setup because it was right around the year anniversary of all of this stuff happening. So in my skepticism, we exchanged messages back and forth that night where she would, she actually openly shared her heart with me and told me kind of where she was at when she took part in this organized character assassination that Noel and Ben had plotted against me. And when we ended that conversation, we ended up making breakfast plans. And then on the day that we got together and I finally got to see her face to face because I actually didn't even know this girl before any of this happened. I had never seen her in my life. 
So when we got together, she told me that she had given or recommitted her life to the Lord. And amazingly, we've been friends ever since then. And I got to watch her, her husband, and her children be baptized at church this summer, which is really just amazing how God worked that out. But anyway, another cool thing about this is that not only did that happen, But at the time, the church that I had been attending had split into three different services to accommodate COVID restrictions and alleviate some max capacity issues that they had with the town. And come to find out, she and I both had been attending the same church for the past few months, but we didn't know it because either she was watching online or we were attending different church services in person. So it was through an opportunity to extend forgiveness to her that I felt that a big old wall that I had built up for over a year came crumbling down like a house of cards. And I wish that I could tell you that more people have come forward to apologize to me since then because it's like that would make the story so sensational, but that's not the case. In fact, they're still making posts about me and the incident that happened almost three years ago. But what they don't know is how big God is. They don't know that it's just like the story of Joseph and his brothers, that what his brothers intended for harm, God intended for good. And it's the same with them. And in my testimony, it wasn't just that God made things sort of okay. In my testimony, it's that God has done something miraculous in my heart and my walk with the Lord. And actually, it is through this mess that God was finally able to teach me things like unconditional love and how to accept love despite my bad choices and flaws. Because up until that point in my life, I only understood love as being the reward for good behavior. And that, of course, was rooted way back in my childhood. And I know that I am not alone in that understanding of love. But I was finally able to move beyond this prayer that went like, God, I'm so sorry. I'm so unworthy. Why do you even love me? How can you truly love a person like me? I am the worst. I hate myself. That was my prayer life. And I was able to move beyond that through God's grace to be able to enter his courts with thanksgiving and praise and just automatically knowing and accepting that despite my stupidity, mistakes, and despite the worst parts of me that I don't let anybody else see, that God loves me and he will never abandon me, even if I try to make him hate me. I'm just not that powerful. And I hope you heard what I just said and that, and that you really just let that sink in because that part of my testimony is not just for me. It's for those of you whose hearts will not allow God's love to penetrate. That's how radically he loves us. This was also the beginning of the part of my Christian walk where I wanted to change. It's where this transformation that most people experience, but apparently not me, finally took place because I'm at the place now where I want to bring glory to his name and I want to share what he has done for me and inside of me because I want other people to be able to understand that sometimes we, the clay in the potter's hands, like to get all squishy and wobbly. And if you have ever made pottery before, like on a wheel, then you know that you cannot strengthen a wobbly vessel on the pottery wheel. The only way to fix it is you have to smash it and start over. And that is what God did for me. And yeah, it hurt. You want to talk about pain and anguish? I had actually become suicidal for the first time in my life because of the bullying that I had to deal with thanks to this friend of mine who had set me up. I guess it wasn't enough just to not vote for me. And I could get bitter about that all over again. But the truth is God used 
soul, as a tool to break me down in order to build me back up. And this was the will of God. And thankfully, I'm at a place now where I can see the beauty in it all. But there's no way that I would ever rewrite the story differently if God had given me the choice to do it over again now that I see what God has done. Because if I were going to take the pen, I would try to do this story with a lot less pain. But it wouldn't be as crazy and bizarre and riveting as it is so that this testimony could be one that people actually want to listen to. God smashed my pride. He took all but maybe two friends and he replaced those friends with an unlikely friend who's now walking with the Lord. He ripped my reputation to shreds. He hurt my feelings. He listened to my prayers and kept them filed away until just the right time to answer them. And he let me be mad at him. He allowed me to question his intentions. He taught me how to hold on loosely to people while still loving them fiercely. He taught me that I may not have ever reached this purpose that he had for me had he not broken me to rebuild me the way that he needed so that I could fulfill his plan, which I believe is through this podcast, which I'll talk about in a minute. He taught me that he truly never leaves us. And even if you had a dad or a mom that isn't good or is downright evil, that he is the one from which we should be getting our ideas about what a real loving father or mother should be. Not from the world, not from movies, not from books. He taught me about grace and about mercy. And he taught me that he is worthy of the cost of witnessing. He taught me how to pray for my enemies. And he taught me that sometimes there really is absolutely nothing left but God. And that's okay. And I can't even contain or list all the other lessons that I've learned from this. But my goal is just to try as much as I can to share them with you, even if this is a continuous process. My story is proof of one of the reasons for suffering. And that is sanctification or purification to be fit for service for God. And I'm okay with that now, which is a miracle in and of itself because old me never would have allowed this story to happen. So we're going to go over some of the other purposes for suffering in the next podcast, but I'll give you a little spoiler alert for now. One of the reasons for suffering is so that we can use our suffering to encourage other people. So on that note, about a year and a half after all of this stuff happened, God began to lay on my heart this idea that I needed to tell this story. And I'm sure you can imagine based on the content and subject of this testimony that you just heard, why I was so hesitant to let that happen. People just don't talk about witchcraft and about astrology and palmistry and tarot card reading and all these other things that pagan religions do. They just don't go around sharing supernatural things about demons and casting spells and things like that. It's just weird. Like nobody talks like that except me, apparently. (laughs) But I never really ever wanted to be associated with any of these things. I can assure you of that. But about a year and a half after my unlikely new friend appeared in my life and this previous prosecutor had who had eventually apologized to me and we struck up this friendship, I kept hearing sermons talking about sharing your testimony. And there were a great number of confirming moments for me on a Sunday morning when I knew that God was pressing this into my heart. And then about a week after Christmas, I was mulling this idea of starting a podcast over again for like the hundredth time. 
And the strange truth is just to stop here for a second. I had actually never really listened to any podcast myself in my entire life up until like December of 2022. So I didn't even know what they were supposed to sound like. And I decided that it was time for me to start figuring that out. So as part of my research, I started listening to podcasts so that I could know what one even was if I was going to start one. And on that particular day, I was sitting on the couch crocheting a blanket for my husband for Christmas and listening to the Whoa, That's Good podcast by Sadie Robertson. And she had a guest speaker, Taya on that particular day. And to be honest, I didn't even know who Taya was. But anyway, Taya said something like either God wants to hear your voice or they want to hear your voice because I can't remember the exact context that she was speaking from. But that's basically what I remember her saying. And it was like a physical little prick in my side. So that's when I kind of knew that it was time for me to get on it unless I might end up like Jonah when he was sent to preach to the people of Nineveh and end up getting swallowed and spit out by a whale. And so this testimony was like such a traumatic thing for me. And it's also the single most prominent thing that has happened in my adult life that I figured that this is where I should begin, even though it's weird. And even though I'm scared to put it out there, it's definitely what needed to be said. So the topic of suffering will be a few episodes long because it's actually quite involved. And I'm not even like, I know that my podcast won't be exhaustive, but I don't even know if I can cover all that there is to say about suffering. But I would just encourage you not to lean entirely on my podcast for what to do when you're suffering or what to know about suffering, but to really just do your own research because there's so much and it's so good, you guys. Like, you have no idea how blessed I've been by studying this topic, even though I thought it would be like horrible. So with that being said, I do not claim to be a pastor or anything. I'm just a girl with some experiences and I am confident that God wants me to share this. And I wholeheartedly believe that God will use it to minister to someone out there who may be in the throes of suffering and pain and sorrows. And my hope is that this podcast helps to bring you through that season a little quicker in an emotional sense and helps you to grow better and not bitter. And just because I'm making this podcast series on suffering, like I said earlier, it doesn't mean that you'll always feel super happy when trials come your way. I think in terms of human existence, that would be somewhat unnatural for us. I mean, Jesus knew something about suffering because not only did he suffer the things that a human could suffer, like physical torture, loneliness, grief, temptation, alienation, and anguish, he also suffered in a way that none of us will ever have to or could even handle suffering. And that's because in addition to every human experience, that he endured, he also had the crushing weight of God's wrath thrown upon him in order to annihilate our sin. And before that even took place, he knew it was going to happen. And that's why in the Garden of Gethsemane, he prayed, if there be any other way, please let this cup pass from me. Because he was looking ahead toward the horror that awaited him. And he was agonizing over how that was going to feel for him. I'm sure physically and mentally and everything else, And then while every sin of every person on the planet that would ever live was laid, Jesus felt forsaken. And forsaken is not a word that we use a lot anymore. And maybe you don't know what that means. So I'll just tell you forsaken means abandoned or deserted. And I am sure that there have been times in your life that you've probably felt that as well. Well, we know that Jesus also felt abandoned by God the Father because in the Gospel of Mark 15, 34 and Matthew 24, 46, it's written that Jesus cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? 
So does that mean that God literally abandoned Jesus? Because wouldn't that be contrary to the whole thing about God never leaving us? Well, evangelicals sometimes argue over this verse. Some say yes, that he literally meant that he did forsake Jesus because he cannot look upon sin. I, on the other hand, tend to see it as maybe Jesus was expressing a very real and raw human emotion under intense stress, just like we do when we suffer. He wondered, where was God? when he felt abandoned in his suffering. And I may be wrong, but I don't think that God would turn his face away from Jesus because although every sin on him was laid, and even though God cannot look upon sin, Jesus was still God. And God was essentially still Jesus. And of course, it's also possible that both of these things were true at the same time, that God couldn't look upon Jesus with the sins of the world laid upon him, but he didn't necessarily leave him. He just didn't look at him. And that Jesus, in his experience as a human being, was just expressing this this deep, intense torment. But again, I hold space for my own error or differences of opinion. And this is not a hill that I'm willing to die on, so it's okay if I'm wrong. But in either case, we know that this is how Jesus was feeling for sure. And so we know that when we cry out to our advocate, Jesus Christ, that he truly understands us at a human level, not just from a place up in the clouds and That is something that brings me great comfort because it would be difficult perhaps for God to have compassion on us when we cry out if he hadn't already also suffered those same things that we're wrestling with ourselves. So that's my testimony. And yeah, I know it's weird. And yes, it was uncomfortable for me to share it with you just basically because of the content. But my prayer is that someone will be encouraged by this and be able to see how good God was in my life. And more importantly, that you will be able to look at your own struggle and see how good he is in your life and find ways to praise him despite whatever the circumstances are. So maybe you're going through a rough time in your marriage and God has put people in your life who will pray for you or give you godly counsel Or maybe you've lost a job, but God is providing unexplainable comfort amidst this uncertain time or even job leads, or maybe even providing you with a better job. Or maybe you've suffered one of the most dreaded tragedies of all time. And that I can't think of anything worse than like losing your child or your spouse, but maybe God has appointed people in your life to drop off meals so that you don't have to think about cooking for a while and you just bring your grieving heart to the Lord because you have time to do so because of those meals that were provided to you. So yes, suffering still exists and yes, it is so painful. And although his mercies are new every day, that doesn't mean that we will see his mercy with every sunrise because sometimes there is mourning, M-O-U-R-N-I-N-G, mourning before the morning. So morning before the sunrise, basically. And we have to remember that time is a construct of man and that God exists outside of time. His morning may be totally different from ours, but through this day or this season that you're stumbling through, God is still good, even when we do not see it. But if we look for it, we can find it a lot easier than if we stay stuck in our place of darkness and don't at least try to move forward. So I think of tuning your heart to see his grace and his blessings and his mercy. That's really what we're talking about, because that will at least ease some amount of the pain while you're going through your suffering. So if your heart is in a season of suffering right now, I just want to leave you with this verse that I happen to be in love with lately. It's actually a blessing and I want to share it with you to hopefully bring you comfort. It's from Numbers 6, 24 through 26. It says, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you 
and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. And that's my prayer for you as you endure whatever trial you're going through is that he would bless you and keep you and just make his face shine upon you and be gracious and give you peace, even if and when it doesn't make sense. So next time we'll continue on this topic of suffering. We'll go over potential reasons why God allows us to suffer. We'll go over comfort and promises to those who suffer and instructions for how we should suffer as Christians and eventually get into lessons from Job's infamous experience with suffering. But for now, that's all I have for you. And I just want to thank you so much for listening to the Unscripted Faith podcast. If you know someone who could use this podcast and this testimony, please share it with them. If you have questions or feedback or ideas for upcoming shows, please email them to me at the Unscripted Faith podcast at gmail.com. That's unscriptedfaithpodcast at gmail.com. God bless you guys.